Welcome to the Everything is Influence podcast. This podcast is dedicated to help you understand why human beings do the things they do and ultimately how you can work with human psychology to influence change and get people to do what you want them to. Whether this is your clients, your prospects, your kids, your spouse, or anyone you come into contact with, this show will give you the tools of influence so that you can become more, unlock your true potential, and serve even more powerfully than you already do. My name is Eli Wild. Let's dive in. All right, so here we are on the Everything is Influence podcast, where we really look at the four levels of influence, how you influence yourself, and how you take the feeling, the certainty, the clarity that you've cultivated within yourself and transfer that to another human being that's level two influence, and then one to many. That's when we influence large groups of people to move the masses, and as leaders, that's what you must do. And the next level of influence is what my guest today has become a master of, that involves marketing and sales and systems where you influence when you're no longer there, replacing yourself with people in process because you've taken the energy, the certainty, the vision that's on your heart and infuse that into other people. And so we're helping you on this podcast, build that system, but the height of the pinnacle depends on the depth of the foundation. And so in my guest today, Mr. Bill Hauser is absolutely amazing at what he's done in an industry that is the most skeptical in the world. And if you're in sales and business, if you've got you know kids that are reluctant, if you have anybody that has not bought into what you're saying, there's a certain target group of an avatar, if you will, that is very skeptical uh, and very resistant, but Bill has been able to connect and really make a difference within that community more than anybody else in such a quick time. I've learned from him personally, been really inspired by what he's done. It's called me to step up my game a lot. Um, and I'm really fortunate to be able to call this man a friend. So Mr. Bill, how are you? Oh man, I am excited. I'm ready for this. Uh, <laughs> I always have this, uh, this joke, this guy, I, I do these high intensity workout classes and he always goes, how you doing today? And I always joke and I say, well, I don't need to wait to see how I'm doing today. I choose how I'm doing every day. So uh, sure. that, that's usually how I respond to that. Yeah, you're intentional. Oh, yeah, awesome. So uh, let us know uh, just a little bit like, what are you up to now? Because it's a little bit different than the syntax of how I'm typically going to do these. We'll start with beginnings of kind of like what's influenced you to be you and then yep. build up to what you've become. But let's start off with what do you do now? Who do you serve? Like, what's the vision on your heart? Like, what do you actually do? What's your business? Like, let people know what you actually do in the world. So, I mean, long story short, uh, you know, four years ago it was an idea um and it was just me and now we have 40 plus full-time w2 employees and we're doing over 10 12 million dollars in collected revenue and this year will last year this year we'll we'll hit over 23 million in revenue um nice, so nice, we're, nice projections so you're more than doubling and i know in the first 40 days that i knew you you did two kind of online events in this yep. virtual world we live in where you did two million dollars at each of them, yep. which is, which is unheard of. Um, so that's, those are big boy numbers. And it does, it, it obviously, as you know, you're one of, you're the best stage presenter on earth. So, I mean, you, you know, it doesn't start there. Um, it starts with little incremental habits, right? Little, little things that, that snowball up to us having two, $2 million, uh, you know, cash collected events within a 40 day time window. Um, it's, uh, it's, 
it's insane. And it didn't start there. It started with, you know, we were just a traditional, I'm 30 years old, by the way. So when I was 26 years old, I, I started my own company, all bootstrapped, um, you know, cold calling, brought it to 460,000 in the first year. Then I realized I needed a team. Um, so hired my first, you know, four or five people. We did a million and a half our second year, third year, uh, about 4 million, fourth year, uh, just over 10 million. And, and the whole process has been one big epiphany, right? When I explain it, it's like, like the first year I was doing direct sales, right? And that was influence, but that was on an individualized basis. Year two was influence on an individualized basis, meaning I'm, I'm still doing sales, but then I also have to learn how to influence a team of people, right? As I hire my first five people, then the needle mover was learning how to take everything I learned in sales, which you know this better than anyone else I know on earth. And how do you convey that to a group of hundreds of people, right? And that's when I started learning about webinars. I met Jason Fladlin. He, he was gracious enough to give me hours of his consulting time uh, to teach me the, the ropes on, on webinars. And when COVID-19 hit, I don't know if I've ever told you this story before, um, I broke down crying in my office because my family went bankrupt in, in 2008. We lost everything. Um, part of the reason I'm fueled to have such high growth goals in business is I'm fueled by fear. I'm fueled by the fear of, I don't want the bankruptcy that happened to my family to happen to not only my own business and my team now of 40, but also to all of the 260 plus clients that we now have as a company. Like I don't want them to go bankrupt. I want every business I touch to have that recession proof, that recession proof feeling. And what happened when COVID hit was I got resourceful as your friend, Tony says, right? I got resourceful and I thought to myself, how can I be of service to an industry, right? And we were just serving lawyers at that point. And I said, can I put on a talk show that turns the world's biggest adversity, COVID-19, every law, every law office, every courtroom was shut down. You know, all these law firms are depending on PPP loans and, and government subsidies. And I said, let's put on a talk show and let's get uh, let's get uh, 4,000 law firms funded with PPP loans, right? And we what's, put on what's a PPP loan, just for everybody here? Yeah, it stands for the Paycheck, per, Paycheck Protection Plan Loan. When COVID-19 hit, the government signed a bill that every business could get a certain percentage of their salaries that they pay out, and they could get that in terms of free money from the government as a refundable loan. So the PPP loan was basically a subsidy to every hurting business out there in the United States when COVID hit. Awesome. So, and just, to, and just, to, just for context here, you like what you do have a, a marketing firm yep. that helps lawyers build their practices. Yep. And so, so that's, so your target market is still lawyers. You work with lawyers, basically yeah. this very skeptical audience, helping them uh, have success. And it's a lot of done for you. Yeah. So, but it's also, we have a, we have a $4 million coaching business as well, which is on annual recurring revenue. Um, so, you know, we have 120 coaching members that pay us anywhere between two to $3,000 per month on 12 month contracts wow. uh, with an 80 to 95% annual renewal rate. So we have like systems and processes behind uh, we, we don't have a coaching you know, I'm not milking out my personal brand, which is really just known in the legal community. I'm not known anywhere else. 
Um, but I'm not just milking out my personal brand to snap people for a big lump sum coaching program. And then they fade off three months in, and then they don't end up getting the value they signed up for. Like we have, we build a coaching business. We have program advisors. We have, we have like uh, systems and processes, intellectual property tools, frameworks built. Um, so that was a really That's fun experiment. And you're not, a, and you're not a lawyer. No, and not at all. And you weren't like, so, and at such a young age, you just, did you just see something at 26 and said, here's a niche, here's an opportunity. Let me take some marketing expertise. Like what's, how did you get to this point? Yeah. So here's the thing. The less like your target client you are, the more interesting you're going to be to them. Right. Yeah. So the fact that I'm not a lawyer was my biggest insecurity, Eli. It was my number one insecurity on those first two years in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it ended up being my number one selling point. So when, when we started the talk show and we started getting thousands, I mean, I had 4,000 lawyers live on a webinar when we started this show during COVID. And I asked people, like, I, I was just getting vulnerable with the audience one day. And I was like, don't you guys think it's weird? I'm not a lawyer. And the chat lit up and everyone was like, no, that's why we listen to you. Um, And I had uh, hundreds of, of, and it was an epiphany moment where I realized that the fact that I was younger, the fact that I knew the internet was actually appealing to my target market. That's awesome. And so what made you pick that target market? So how did you get into this? Yeah, it's funny. So I'm not a lawyer, so it, it was a strategic decision, right? So we were serving contractors originally, and I downloaded this tool called Ibis World which is a industry research tool. And I was looking at all these different verticals of business that we could serve in our agency. And the contractors that we were serving weren't paying their bills uh, because I found out afterwards that a $1 million contractor or construction company is worth as much as a $400,000 law firm because of the profit margin, right? Hmm. Um, so the contractors weren't paying their bills. And I said, you know, I got to find a different business model. So I went into this tool and I found that law firms are less recession affected. And my number one fear was to have a business that depends on people's discretionary income, right? Because then when the recession hits, my business goes down too, especially in a marketing business. So I said, how can I choose an industry that is pretty flat through tough times Mm -hmm. uh, because people don't stop hiring lawyers. Like actually hiring lawyers goes up during recessions uh, for bankruptcy lawyers. Oh, bankruptcy. Bankruptcy and personal injury. The person doesn't have to pay, right? It's all contingency fee. They don't, the insurance company pays, right? So, so that was one of the, the, the more, I guess it was luck partially, but it ended up being one of the core reasons that our business was able to grow was we picked the right industry. Mm-hmm. And you got into marketing how? You were in marketing before, it's new to you. It's like you, most people pick up a Dan Kennedy book or they hear about something or they see Russell Brunson at this point. How did you get into the market? So what, what did you go to school for? Yeah, so I went to, I graduated from Temple University with a major in uh, risk management and insurance a minor in finance and a minor in psychology. Um, I was like 4.0 for three years. And then I remember this one day I went home and I told my mom, I think I wasted all my time getting good grades. Right. Um, She looks at me, she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, 
this doesn't apply. And I started the entrepreneurial light bulb started going off mm -hmm. and I started realizing I needed to create my own education plan. So my grades started going down in my last year and a half of school dramatically because I was like, this isn't going to benefit me, right? No one cares. Mm -hmm. So the way I got into marketing was out of a place of severe pain. I struggled with a severe anxiety disorder um, when I was uh, in college. It was so debilitating. I'd walk down the sidewalk and I'd think people were going to pull a gun on me. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be eating lunch and someone would pass by and I think they were staring and laughing at me like it was that bad. So the only person I felt I was talking to throughout the week was my psychologist and my psychiatrist. And it was the darkest place in my entire life. My family went bankrupt. Everything I owned got repossessed. It was the lowest of the low of the low period of my life. And um, I wrote this book. I started biohacking and trying to get my health in check. Um, do you think, do you, have you got past all the anxiety now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And now I, I wrote, I feel I pretty much like I used to have these unconscious fears too. I've pretty much gotten past all of them. Uh, but still sometimes like when I go to like a water fountain and I go to drink a, like a thing of water off a public water fountain, um, I still, I'm scared. Somebody's going to like smash me in the back of the head and I'm going to knock out all my teeth on thing. Yeah. And still if I'm my, my, my bathroom by myself doing like a Q-tip in my ear. I'm, I'm still scared somebody to run in and like smash the Q-tip into my ear. I, <laughs> just like these completely just irrational fears, yeah. uh, you know? And then it's like, you start to look at some of those. It's like, these things make no sense. I think my brain is like still holding onto those. It's like, I still, I triple check. So yeah. what, what got you out of that, that kind yeah. of anxiety then? So, so long story short, and, and I'm trying to get to like, you know, how, how I learned marketing and it all does tie in by the way, is I started all this biohacking and, you know, and, and did it fully go away? Of course not. It's my greatest gift. Having anxiety is now something I leverage to look around corners to, to change the what if questions in my head from what if someone stabs me to what if this competitor of mine innovates a new product so my, my fear quality has exponentially increased, right? Mm -hmm. So I went through this process through uh, mindfulness, biohacking of just really dialing in all my habits. And a lot of it, when I discovered mindfulness, that was one of the clinchers. And I ended up writing a book. Once 90% of my symptoms went away, I fired my psychologist and I wrote a book called Worry 180, Worry 180. And it's about how to take your worries and reframe them into proper worries. I call it appropriate focus, right? Wrote this book. And then I've never forget the day, Eli, laying on my stomach in my mom's spare bedroom, run, just ran out of money in my bank account. I'm going to write this book and help the whole world overcome anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I launched the PayPal store. I remember the exact moment I pressed that button. And I remember a flood of fear went through my body and I realized nobody knows about my book. And I remember the next morning I woke up, no one bought it. And I realized I have to learn marketing, right? Mm. And at that point, I spent eight months writing that book and nobody bought it for like two years, right? You spent eight months writing a book. You weren't working anywhere. Like, how did you survive? Just I, was work, I was working with, I was working with my dad's construction company. Uh, he was paying me 500 bucks a week. Um, and lo and behold, that was my opportunity to learn marketing. So I asked my dad after the book launch failed, 
I asked them, Hey, can I do no, this website? on like Amazon or like, how, you know, you had no email list, or Facebook, no. Twitter. No, nothing. Yeah. This is like no. 10 years ago. Yeah. So okay. this is like eight, eight years ago or so. So I knew nothing, nothing. I, I picked up an Eben Pagan course, um, on That's info crazy. product marketing. Eben Pagan blew my mind and I realized, crap, I need money to market. And then the next logical decision was I need to learn sales. So I, I'm one of these people that I'm, I'm a sales guy that learned how to take sales and apply it to marketing, right? Similar to what you were doing when you were going kind of door to door. No. I feel like I learned sales and then I had to figure out how to transferred into marketing. So I joined yellowpages.com, uh, became their number one sales rep out of thousands and made wow. 264 million, uh, 264 million. That's funny. 264. That's my goal. Actually, 265 million is my goal in, a, in your lifetime in your, in a year. No, by 2026, it's okay. actually 256, um, 256. Um, but I had dyslexia for a second, which is another gift I've been given. Um, I've but, got that too. We both have learning disabilities, ADHD, and you, you really embrace it as a superpower. I think I still struggle with it. Like if you saw all the open tabs on my computer right now, <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, you, what, what was the book you recommended me that you love hypo something? Oh, the hypomanic edge. Yeah. It's a yeah. book about how all of the greatest innovators and entrepreneurs they have traits of what's called hypomania. So it's not it's not necessarily bipolar disorder, um, but it's a similar, it's a spectrum of bipolar, uh, which I believe also is a gift, uh, where you get a lot of the upsides, meaning that uncontrollable flood of dopamine, where you have all these ideas flood to you, but you don't really get as depressed, right? You get some mild depression, but not that bad. And Steve Jobs was said to, well, he was diagnosed hypomanic. Um, the people who, uh, you know, discovered the, the internet were hypomanic, right? Like a lot of the greatest innovators and visionaries have traits of hypomania. And that's why you see the Tim Ferrisses of the world. And the, you know, we were, you mentioned earlier, a lot of the most talented people in the world have to fight against their predispositions through habit formation right? Morning routines, daily routines, night routines, all these routines. So they can take this, this beautiful energy they've been given from the universe, which some people label as ailments mm -hmm. and other, and then other people can channel that energy through, through good habits and disciplines. And all of a sudden it blossoms. Yeah. You have, you have some good habits, I guess, focus habits, your systems. What, what'd you eat for uh, breakfast this morning? What'd you eat for breakfast? Uh, this morning, uh, I had, so I have everything calculated. So I had a, um, a performance meal prep meal, uh, which is 400 calories. calculated, like in yeah. life meals, everything. Yep. Everything's Systems process. My fitness pal, it's all calculated. Yep. Yeah. And so do you have somebody, prep, you have somebody prep your meals, structure everything. I order them. Yes. So yeah. I have, uh, I have, uh, two meal prep meals per day. I have a diet coach that hand delivers me snacks every single Monday. He drives to my office. He hands me a bag of my pre-calculated macros. It has all my meals in it for the week snacks. I'm not allowed more than 300 calories per snack, three, three fifty. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I just keep testing. 
So like I test what time do I eat uh, my pro, uh, my protein bar in the morning? So we're testing right now. Does it make sense to take it at 8.30 or 9.30? Um, when does my first legit meal work, right? Based on my energy. When does my 200 to 300 calorie snack midday work, right? And I feel like a lot of people need to, need to innovate when it comes to their energy um, because it's all you have. It's the number one asset. Um, I do high intensity interval training, uh, five days a week. It's, it's, uh, one step at a time, one step, but, but here's the thing. I would have never learned those habits if I didn't have the pain of my anxiety. And that's where I built a lot of those disciplines. Cause I was forced to, I had to learn those disciplines in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. And so you created some structure and systems for your mindset, emotions, health, everything. Do you, do you have a specific morning routine? Oh yeah. Extreme. What is it? Give it to us. Yeah. So, uh, I wake up at, um, anytime between, uh, 410 to 425 AM. As soon as I wake up, uh, I drink, I fill up a half gallon of water. So before 830, I've already drank a half gallon of water with one thing of electrolytes in it. And then, so that's electrolytes, the dip, the dip ones, uh, right I now I'm using bitch. liquid IV is what I'm using. Okay. Yeah. Um, so just one of those 50 calories, it spreads out through all the, uh, stuff. So then I immediately use a Phillips blue light, mm-hmm. which is a blue light, um, that simulates the sunlight triggers your sleep, wake circadian rhythm. And I write down all of my, my top five gratitudes, my goals, and I categorize my goals by health, business, personal, and then relationships and spirit. I, I categorize those together. And then my purpose statement, then I pace back and forth in my kitchen. I recite my Napoleon Hill, uh, think and grow rich purpose statement out loud. I film it on Instagram every single day. On um, really every day. Yep. You know, by the X day of 2023, I'll have in my bank account, this amount of money, which will come to me yes. in various amounts from time to time during the interim, did it, you know, all that stuff, you know, and then there's the, you know, the self-confidence formula. Yeah. It's, I did that every day for years that you can, yes. you can tell. I do that uh, every single day. Yeah. I do the whole I, thing. I made that book. I read the book so many times and I wanted to really embody it. I made that book into an audio book with my own voice because wow. I wanted to work on my speaking and my articulation because I didn't, uh, I didn't speak very well. And so I noticed that I mumbled a lot. So I made, I made three books into audiobooks with my own voice and I'd enunciate and, you know, work on that because your communication is, it's really important when you open your mouth, you speak very well, very, and I guess you have to speaking to lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. Well that, yeah, they'll pounce on you if you don't. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, just to sum it up, I mean, yeah, right after that recite the major definite uh, purpose statement. Um, Then after that, I, have done a lot of mindfulness work. So I found what works best for me is I have to get myself into a mindfulness state before I meditate. Otherwise it just becomes a task. So I've meditated it's, for six what does years. Mindfulness mean just being mindful of your breath, slowing down. Like what is, so what does that mean? It's awareness of thoughts and sensations without judgment. So it's awareness of, I got that book. Like it's a big book, John Cablet Zinn or something like that. Um, he was like the original kind of mindfulness OG. And yep. one of the first exercises in there, you have a raisin and you put it in your mouth for, and you can't eat it for 10 minutes, just Amazing. noticing the texture. And, you know, it's, it's, we move through life so quick. There's another really amazing book. It's, it's called Slow Sex. Have you heard of that? No. It's, 
it's this woman talking about orgasm in the book. And there's this story at the beginning where this, this woman has a, her, her first memory of her grandmother eating a tomato, biting into it. And just the juice is going down her face. And she's like, that's how you eat a tomato and just savoring every, every moment of it. And a lot of times we go through life really quick. And so you have a mindfulness practice to make you really conscious and hyper aware of these, the nuances in your day to really be embodied and to feel into what you're doing instead of just rushing through. You know, what's funny is people have asked me like after six years of meditating every day, like what result has it had on your life? And, and the answer I always give is it gives you, I, I, I always joke like six years of disciplined meditation for a microsecond of a pause throughout my day. That's it. That's it. A microsecond. So a emotion appears throughout the day. Like I get frustrated at someone and all that those six years have bought me is a microsecond of that emotion has appeared millisecond that emotion. At least I know that emotion is here. And then your subconscious mind is really powerful. Your subconscious mind, for me, I found it'll just discard things that don't serve you. But if you're not aware of the thought, feeling, emotion, or that sensation that's not serving you, mm-hmm. it's hard for your subconscious mind to just discard it, right? Naturally. But changing your thoughts doesn't work, right? It, it, for me, I found. So consciously saying, I'm going to change this thought doesn't work as good as Ah, that's cool. This thought's here. It creates more resistance. Yeah. It's called the second arrow. They yeah. call it in Buddhism, the second arrow. When you are hit with an arrow in war, the worst thing you could ever do is hit that wound with a second arrow. And that's what most of us do. When we feel anxiety, when we feel negative emotion, we criticize ourselves. I shouldn't be feeling this. Shame on me. And that's a second arrow, right? Your arrow should be externally focused, right? What can I do to change what happened with this arrow in me? You know? So you, you get up, you super hydrate, you read your mission statement persons, it's the whole thing. And then you meditate. I meditate, but here's the thing. I get into a meditative state before I meditate. And the way I do that is I pick up like an Eckhart Tolle book, or I pick up uh, like right now I'm rereading a new earth. I just, I teeter between, yeah, new earth or the power of now, right? It's just like teeter through them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'll read an excerpt from it. I'll reflect on the statement and then I'll meditate. And then after I meditate, here's the key is I have a meditation journal in my phone and I will just write down, how did I sleep last night? And I'll rate, okay, just self-awareness. What, what did I resist during that meditation? I'll just take a quick note in my phone. What what thoughts popped up? And then I move on. Um, And and it's really cool to be able to, on a weekend, just look at, hmm, these thoughts have been going through. And again, it allows for that self-awareness for if there's thoughts that aren't serving you, I'll let go of that thought. No big deal. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, we say that the master skill of all masters is pattern recognition. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, I love the analogy. It's like you, you play a video game with a child 
and you know that you go first and then you're dead in 10 seconds and then the child goes 45 minutes later they're still shooting up the bad guys because they've played the game before they know this bad guy goes out here and then this guy bad guy to the left then there's one to the right then there's one behind you and so with you can recognize some of those bad guys within your own mind these emotions these patterns when this person says this this is how it gets get triggered you recognize those patterns and that awareness can create space and so yep. we're not so reactive and so how long how long do you meditate so right now, um, I'm doing an average of 17 minutes. Um, when I do 10 minutes, I find it's an excuse I've found for myself. So I found that it is a, I don't have the time excuse. And to have an effect, I need 17 minutes and, and at minimum. So I've tried 25 minutes and it, I believe the effect is diminishing after 17 so right now i'm at that 15 to 20 range mm -hmm. um because we only need the minimum viable impact right um is what i believe yeah i do five. Oh, okay i've had to work up to that so yeah, yeah that's good that's yeah, good I'm, I'm getting there so i'll uh maybe i'll try 17 soon yeah well, don't 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 start there no you're 100 yeah. right like start at five go to six yeah. yeah. Like don't, don't freak. Like that's what a lot of people mess up in habit formation. I believe is like, I'm going to change my health this year. That's why I hate new year's resolutions. Like I hate them with a vengeance. Like it's just, you have this whole list of goals that you're going to change your entire. No, you're not. You have all these habits just chugging beneath your skin. And then you're going to go just change every single habit at once. You'd be better off saying, I'm going to make these three micro commitments and not miss for two weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just, it boggles my yeah. mind building up. Uh, so after this meditation, then what do you do after the meditation? Um, then I do a workout. So I stretch for 15 minutes. I have a whole routine, lower back, upper back, um, you know, every single i do the hip flexors i do the front of the hip flexors the outer hip um all the areas that get tense and then so i have a whole stretching routine for that which is memorized at this point and the reason i had to learn that is because i grew up racing dirt bikes and i broke 19 bones racing dirt bikes when i was younger so i had to learn how to stretch because i was already experiencing arthritis at age 22. i was having back pain um so then after that i do either my high intensity or strength training routine. Um, and then I come back to the house and then the rest is just really uh, getting ready. And now a new thing that I'm doing is I'm writing out a list of everything I think I'm procrastinating on and I immediately take action on it, mm -hmm. right? So um, that's how we booked Jocko Willink for our latest event, by the way, is awesome. I, just e I just emailed him. I was just like, right now, 5 a.m., I'm emailing him, right? Yeah, this magic can come when you when you shorten. Is that, the is that email public? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because you had what Jordan Belfort on the last one and Damon John. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I wish I wish I had had the time. I would have come in and spoken there, and you guys would have done three million. Just kidding. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you guys, you guys cleaned up. Uh, so let's just kind of go back in time a little bit. What have been the biggest influences over your life? You know, looking at you know level one influence, kind of what has made you you? Because you know, there you are in Philly. You got you know some stuff. Your dad, I guess, was in construction. You know, your parents had, had separated young. Um, what's kind of got you to this level of discipline and focus and 
you know, just commitment and consistency in what you're doing that's got you to this point? What have been the, been the biggest influences that have driven you? So um, I know that your intention is is to build a world-class top, you know, business podcast. And, and I got to tell you, I'm also passionate about doing something similar in my life because of the impact that people like you who give freely information to help others had an impact on me when I was in my hardest places. So to answer your question, tongue in cheek, YouTube, what had the biggest impact on me was when I, when I discovered, wow, I can just go on YouTube and the first personal development person I ever found who I get to interview in two weeks, I am just, I can't even believe it. Hmm. Brian Tracy. Um, wow. So yeah, I'm just great. so I've met him. He's a, oh, he's really? a I probably met him 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. He's been at this for a long time. Talk about OG. Yeah. Um, so I saw, I, I, I was having troubles with social anxiety. This is when I was coming out of uh, my, my extreme anxiety. I typed in how to communicate with confidence and like RSD popped up. And, you know, that's where I started seeing Tyler from RSD and uh, Owen. Um, and then I, you know, I saw uh, Brian Tracy, I saw Brendan Burchard, I saw Grant Cardone. Um, and I started learning like, wow, I can learn my way. I can learn my way out of my pain. I can, I can actually learn about these things that I've been scared about. And I remember Tony, Tony was, Tony Robbins was one of the first, probably one of the first three people that I found. And I was always so embarrassed, Eli, like, I was so embarrassed to tell people that I was a deficient human being and I needed personal development. Mm -hmm. And I remember this one day at college, this guy, George Holvis, his name was, we were in the open area of college, uh, of this big open meeting area. I remember I told him, Tony Robbins, blah, 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 blah. And then I got, I got scared. I was like, crap, he's going to criticize me for going into that personal development stuff. And he immediately replied back to me and he was like, oh yeah, I saw that video too. Like Tony's awesome. And yeah. then I saw a video from uh, real social dynamics and Tyler was talking about the power of now and Tony and just saying it under his breath, like not even like just throwing around the terms, like they were water to him, like Tony Robbins, Eckhart Tolle. And I started thinking like, wait a second, is there like, is there a world where personal development is like embraced and I don't have to be hush hush about it. Mm -hmm. So I redesigned my entire social circle. I get goosebumps right now as I say this and uh, I'm like flooded in goosebumps because I remember that moment where I looked at everyone around me and I realized everyone around me was not investing in themselves in personal development. And I went so far into it, Eli, like, I mean, all in, like I am personal development and it's all I listened to. It's all I, it's all I thought about. Right. Mm -hmm. So every single day to and from class, I'm listening to a uh, high impact communication, which is a Brian Tracy tape yeah. every yeah. single day. High impact. I can remember the trumpet music. It, uh. High impact communication with Brian Tracy. And it was some intro guy. And then 
every day. And I didn't even, I wasn't implementing it. And then I found, you know, Evan Pagan who taught me about marketing. And then I found Grant Cardone and that Grant put everything I learned about personal development into, you can make money doing this, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't even implement anything I learned from Grant. He just gave me the confidence that I can take what I learned about influence and use it to make money. That's, he just gave me that belief. That's it. And the greatest gift that you've given the tens of thousands of people you've spoken in front of, I'm sure you'd agree, is the belief that they can do something. Yeah, that's, uh, it's got to be conditioned. You know, belief is a feeling of certainty. And when you're communicating, that's what people buy. You know, there's a lot of people out there that uh, don't have very valuable services, but they communicate it with lots of certainty and people buy. And then there's people that are brilliant doctors. They've, they've got all these degrees, these letters behind their name, more certifications and are brilliant. And they keep on getting more certifications because they always feel like they're not enough and they never make money, even though they are brilliant because they lack certainty, confidence in themselves. So it's, it's something I think we all need. And, you know, I'm, I'm still working on it myself. Uh, and I, you know, I go deeper and deeper and uh, learn more and more distinctions. So you, you got involved in all of this, your, this YouTube, you were at a place in your life where you said, I want to go out there and look for answers. Um, yeah. And then you got into self-development and you were in school at the time. How old are you in your wow. journey? When that started, yeah, I, I feel like it had to have been um, 22, 22 oh. years old. So about eight years ago is when I started opening the floodgates on it. Were you disciplined before that, like this? No, like because you were good I in school. Was, yeah, I was. I was disciplined out of pain. I was disciplined out of pain. Yeah, um, I was disciplined because I felt I had to prove something to my family, to my dad. It wasn't internal discipline. It was, see, my dad grew up, he was beaten to a pulp by his dad. I mean, just, he had the, walking into his house, uh, he had to wear seven pairs of jeans because he would get whipped until he was bleeding. Um, I mean, it was just so much abuse. And my dad just wanted to be the best possible dad he could be for me. Um, and I wanted to reciprocate that to him, but it, but it turned into... I wasn't, I was living through him, not for myself. Um, and I had to, I had to redefine my reasons. I, I found that you can have great habits, but if they're for the wrong reasons, sometimes that compass has to change where the habits can stay, but you have to go through your own inner work of going, I'm not doing these habits for X reason. I'm doing them for me. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, you know, a, a constant theme of the show we go into. There's, you know, there's two ways that we live our life. One is outside in, the other's inside out. But I think especially in those developmental years, you're living a lot of life outside in, meaning like a cup that's empty. You're being filled up with experiences and role models, and that has you get filled up. You know, that has an effect on your unconscious habits of what you do, especially in those developmental years. And then you take all of that out into the world. Hopefully you're successful, but usually not. You fall on your face uh, and there's a resiliency there for some, sometimes not. But you had uh, a point in your life, you started looking for answers and going into, you know, following the structure of this, a lot created this, this bill, this frame, this you, how you influence yourself. And you had a lot of discipline. You took that out into the world. And you started doing, what was your first actual sales job? Like one-to-one is the phone, is the phone jam? Yeah. So uh, it was yellowpages.com. Yeah, it was, um, 
we were trained on how to cold call uh and we were primarily cold calling from uh the yelp online directory okay. of contractors um, who uses the yellow pages anymore so this was like eight years ago because you're 30 now this, is uh, 22. this was yeah this was uh i was probably 24 when i was doing that sales job so just uh, and so and you have just everybody listening you have an eight-figure business now four years ago didn't exist six years ago first job doing yep. cold calling do you remember what you said so you you cold call these people you get them on the phone yeah remember what you said yep yeah hey uh this is this is still uh and, and i was so good at it man i mean it really? I, like all this other stuff i tried it's a hard job it's a hard up, job up to that point i was like i was like and that's why you got to try a lot of stuff i mean i hated it don't get me wrong cold calling was the bane of my existence i hated it you need some but, thick skin yeah. but i was good at it and so, so yeah, most people don't say that they're like yeah I, I did it i went through it and then they put me on a regular job so you're the setter a closer cold call outbound you know sdr you know or you know mdr so they yeah. develop these leads off cold um and it's it's great for sales companies especially that have 100 commission because it's just a free person that's doing all of this and it's a tough gig but you were yeah. you were great at it what, so, what made you great at it because most people aren't and were you on a sales floor so or were you just on your like at home because this is pre-covid obviously no yeah it was a sales floor um it was a sales floor in philadelphia um and oh, man this is so funny so uh the day i started the job was the day that i uh got i got into a fight with my dad my dad choked me in the kitchen i haven't told this story before but choked me in the kitchen. I was living with him. He knew that I had a, a light switch where he felt worried because he felt I wasn't going to need him anymore. Um, we were close and we, he choked me in the kitchen. You know, he was, I, I forget what happened. It, it, it was just a crazy chain of events. And, um, I had blood on my shirt, um, because, you know, he, he ended up falling and he hit his nose on the kitchen thing and there's blood. So I go into the sales office, my first day at this job after training blood on your shirt, I have yeah. a little speck of blood on my shirt. I'm in the office, Eli at 6 30 AM. You're only supposed to be there at nine. <laughs> the sales manager is the only other guy in there. And I'm pacing back and forth, practicing objection handlers. This is before I've ever made a cold call. Wow. pacing back and forth in the training room at 6 30 a.m dressed business professional okay mm -hmm. this guy walks in his name is joe uh, i think his name was joe hooker uh and the name. Was, yeah uh, so he was the old sales manager there about to retire and he came in he crossed his arms he just watched me pacing back and forth doing objection handlers to myself i didn't even look at him i was like lebron getting ready for like battle mm -hmm. and because i was so scared of getting hung up on and uh and i'm pacing back and forth pacing back and forth and then he stops in the middle of the thing and he and he looked at me and he he told me to actually like practice my body language he told me to put my shoulders back as i was doing a really good advice he gave me by the way mm -hmm. and then he looked down at my shirt and he and he said what's that and i i think he said it before he thought otherwise he probably would have keep kept his mouth shut uh, cause it was a little awkward and he said, what's that on your shirt? And I said, it's blood. He was like, uh, what? I was like, yeah, my dad and I, some crazy thing happened. He fell, he had his nose on the thing. I didn't tell him we got into a fight. Mm -hmm. And then he looked up at me and he looked into my eyes and he said, 
you're going to change this company. And I don't know what he meant by that, but, um, and then he just walked out of the room. It was like weird. And then he ended up quitting or like retiring like the next week. <laughs> it was like this, this, this like Buddha yeah, you, type. You're going to change the company. You're going to inspire me to leave. I'm the manager and the company's going to go down now all because of you. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, my first week I made eight sales, which the average, the average monthly number of sales made in the sales office was three. So I made eight. So what'd you say? So what'd you say? So you call ring, ring, what, you know, hello. Oh, what did I say? What did I say? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. um, so it's all energy, right? So I was practicing mostly energy. Hey, what's up? It's Bill here. I, I'm looking at your listing online and I'm curious. It seems like, first of all, you haven't optimized the, uh, this section of your, of your Yelp profile, but that's not why I'm calling. Uh, would you want me to actually fix that for you? Hmm. And they're like, what, what is this all about? Like, you know, yeah, so created confusion, yeah. right? And then I would go to, listen, I'm going to cut to the chase here. You probably get a thousand calls like this. And then it was like a, it was like a tone drop. And I had this all like down to the science. So it was like, listen, I'm going to cut right to the chase here. You get a ton of calls like this. This one's different. Okay. What, what I'm talking about here is something that can literally send you 15 new uh, construction remodeling clients per month. But I understand this is a cold call. I understand you don't have the time. So before I hang up on myself, okay, <laughs> yeah. right, so I, I Mind that reading takeaway. This is good. There's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff here. Before I hang up on myself, let me ask, would you be interested in 15 additional clients per month? And I understand I just called you randomly. I have other calls I need to get to, and I understand you're busy. Let me ask, if I were to come to your office to show you this, would you be at all interested? Or I know you're busy. Is there a marketing director, an assistant, or someone else that you'd want me to pass this info to that they could then vet and bring to you? So I was trying to hit on the, I don't need to deal with this objection and all yep. this other stuff all at once. Showing you're busy, all this confusion right. and, and, and people listening, depending on how advanced you are, Bill, uh, obviously just figure this out, but people become highly suggestible when you can confuse them because yep. the mind's looking because nobody wants to be confused. The mind's looking to hook onto something and you can do an embedded command, look, pull away, disconnect. So this is, this is brilliant. And so this yep. is your first, you just kind of do this unconsciously very, very quick. So yeah, and that, that's where I knew that this was a gift was I was trying different scripts and, and, and methods to do the cold call. And then I, and I realized that there's some, some God-given gift was given to me for this. So I was able to innovate, but the key was I was able to script everything. And I knew structure. That was the key is I knew the intro greeting appointment set appointment lock confirm. Did they give you that structure or did you kind of work that out? I, I learned that through uh, the Cardone training primarily and some other trainings that I did. Um, but yeah, Brian Tracy has some good stuff. You know, it's a bit soft and Grant's really aggressive. There's not much uh, technique with Grant stuff, but his mindset, he's just there, you know, it's, it's it, I can see that being your style. Were you this articulate back then? Cause you, you, you have yes. a very nice cadence with your, your voice, you're articulate. Yeah. So my, my biggest secret in the sales game was, uh, right. It was industry expertise. So that's getting the appointment is a completely different sale. Yeah. That's a little bit of confusion, a little bit of scarcity, 
and a little bit of like, you're going to miss out on this if you don't book this, no big deal. And then making them want to book the appointment, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I always said. And I started making them, making them want to book it. Yes. So making, doing a push way, like, I don't know if we should meet, it maybe probably wouldn't be. And then they would go, no, 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 I want to meet with you. Right. So push it would away. be like, a, and I, and I would always get, I would put my tail between my legs when I asked for the appointment. I'd be like, you know, maybe, maybe right now is not the time. Or, you know, I would say the objection before they yeah. did. And then they go, nah, I'll meet with you. You seem like a reasonable guy. Isn't that interesting how human psychology works? You know, yeah. it's like, when you do that, they, they lean in, uh, you know, and just because this just popped in my brain and hopefully you can break off a little bit of something for everybody here with the rap game. Yeah. If there's a, you know, so I'm me not being the most articulate kid voted like the quietest kid in school. Um, I, when I got my first sales job, I put a pencil in my mouth horizontally um, and I'd bite down on it and I would say the alphabet or I'd say affirmations to force my mouth to articulate around this pencil in my mouth. And so I was doing this to condition my mouth so I would be more articulate. And I would also listen to some Tupac or something like that. And I would try to keep up with the words. Eminem was too fast for me. Yeah. And that's how uh, Ed Sheeran, who is a stutterer, became really good is, is learning all the words to Eminem. And you have a gift when it comes to the articulation and, and rhyming and the rhythm and cadence from, I guess, practicing how to rap. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a, um, that's also, it's a gift. You know, it, it is, it is. I, I, I was a musician growing up. I was a lead singer before, right after I did dirt biking and we, we played in front of hundreds of people. Um, and you know, what's interesting is I always ask myself, how am I going to take my experience in music and stage performance and tie it to business. And, you know, as Steve Jobs says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And now, you know, we build an eight figure business primarily from me yapping on stage, just like I did before. And when I, when I raced dirt bikes, I was the class clown. Everyone was always, I mean, there's still videos of, of me. I used to go by Billy Hauser. If you type that in on YouTube, you'll see some hilarious outlandish videos of me like doing weird random stuff when I was a really young kid. And I've always liked being the center of attention. Um, but specifically to answer your question on the sales, on the sales function, I use this approach called the industry specific approach, which I kind of uh, coined where I would try to not talk about the product at all. Right. And I try to make the sale without talking about the product at all. And it would be all about their industry, all about their industry. Meaning, hmm. hey, listen, I understand you're a remodeling contractor. You probably don't just want the cabinet work. You probably don't just want the flooring work, right? Right. Oh. So I'm assuming you want the full bathroom rehabs, the full kitchen rehabs, or preferably the entire house renovations, right? So I'm assuming that if we got you the full house renovations, you you also wouldn't want that in low income zip codes, right? You'd probably want that in the higher value zip zip codes and the people who can actually afford. So do you mind if I show you a, how to get the full house rehabs, B how to get the full house rehabs in the right zip codes and C how to pre-vet people so they know they can pay. So here's what we do. We choose the right zip codes. We, we make sure we're only targeting keywords that are relevant to the full house remodel, like people who are typing in stuff like, 
uh, full house renovation, house renovation. The word renovation has an 80% higher chance that people are going to want their whole house renovated. Then the word remodel, which is typically just the bathroom or the kitchen, right? So we go after those renovation keywords and we then send everything to a targeted landing page, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Pause, right? And at that point, I've talked their language so much. Yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. And these, everybody listening, um, I'm assuming you want, you want, so these are embedded commands. And it's putting to somebody's prefrontal cortex things that they do want, they might not have been thinking because they're kind of in this evaluation state of who is this person you want, and it's making them think about these things, which is you know where you want what you're selling at the the front of their awareness and we can bring it there. So that's, this is phenomenal. You're just unconscious genius with this. So I'm just thinking of, uh, I can't wait, dude, until like, I feel like events have made us soft because we were good at them because I really, really want a sales team, Eli, like so bad because I, I feel like I'm not using all this stuff that I learned on a one-to-one basis and it's all just through events. Um, but it goes to show that, you know, if you can learn how to take your message and spread it out to a group of people, it is it is the most powerful use of your time in sales. It's learning how do I take everything I do one-to-one and group it? And then how do I create the problem of, crap, I need an audience to now present this to. That's a, that's, I'd rather you have that problem than crap all day. I'm doing one-on-one sales appointments and grinding the midnight oil. Like I'd rather have you solve the problem of how do I build an audience so I can plug a good message into a group of people who know, like, and trust me. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the the principles we revisit here a lot is that NLP principle is the quality of your life comes from the quality of your communication with yep. others and with yourself, with yourself, really important. All that, that head talk, making sure you're prepared. And I, I think it's like, I'm, I think out of my own insecurity, I over-prepared. And I remember when I did the event a couple of years ago at Jordan Belfort, uh, somebody asked me if I was going to be nervous. I was like, I thought for a moment, cause I was so prepared. I thought to myself nervous, if anybody's nervous, it should be them. Cause I'm the only one that knows what's going to happen in this room, like a thousand people. And I just, I had that. And that's what proper preparation can do. It, it just conditions that internal voice, but you've got great communication externally. Um, and so I've got a few more questions I want to ask you. Um, and I want to keep this tight, respect your time. And if you could break us off a little rap, just so somebody could, they could witness the articulation of what you do. Be ill. That's Bill. Coming in again, you thought you knew, but go grab your pen. The stuff that I be spitting is iller than what you're written. Screw with me and you'll be cabbage in the kitchen. I'll knock your lights out just like a lamp. Can't battle me, you see, I'm the champ. So take your $40 and go back to camp. Too worth, too bad you're only worth a penny like a cheap postage stamp. I don't know, whatever. I love it, I love it. You know, there is, when I, when I hear great speakers and you're, you obviously have a talent, there's a certain rhythm and a flow and there's an ability to change their cadence, their tempo, it, it, you know, their tempo. And it's, it's quite rhythmic. Um, and sometimes too, when you're speaking on stage, all of that, in order to influence somebody, we have to keep their attention. And so there can't be that monotone. There's gotta be this dynamic energy and, and yep. you've got it. So I, I could talk to you all day. Eli V guy. My name is Eli V guy. So fly. <laughs> All the time, busting rhymes, but I'm not busting rhymes. And I'm so fine on the microphone in front of thousands. 
You can't stop me. I'm going thousands of miles an hour. It's so crazy, like Patrick Swayze in the back of a Mercedes <laughs> with all of the ladies. I love it. I love it. So we're getting an understanding of how you influenced yourself, kind of how you got to that point. You took sales, you did one-to-one, -one, level two influence, we call it. And what, when was it that you started to get into this niche and build a team? So, you know, as it relates to level three influence, there's what you do from stage. And, you know, we are in the same mastermind. Um, I remember even seeing you and another principle I want to kind of make sure people get here. I connected with Bill inside of a mastermind, but part of the reason I saw him, one thing I did see him stretching over to the side, taking care of his health because we're sitting there all day, but he asked lots of questions. And I see a lot of people go to seminars and events um, and they're just silent or they're a spectator or they're on their phone or they're outside uh, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and socializing at these events where you spend lots of money to go. Um, visibility is profitability. Always raise your hand, always ask a question, ideally an intelligent question, but most people have, even if it's not the best question, somebody else has that too. And you are in a room of other people that have paid to be at an event and you shine the light of awareness on you that you are a person. And if you can formulate a good question at that place in these masterminds, it's huge. And Bill had a lot of great questions. And I was like, who's this guy? And you had this energy. And so a lot of times people go to events and stuff like that, and they don't, they don't show up like physically, mentally, emotionally, and they're not their present. So that's how I noticed you. We had an amazing night in the van and just we had, what a cool night that was. And so you, as it relates to this, what we call level three influence, you've taken this, you've built a company, you figured out marketing, you hired some people to, to do the different aspects. There's what you do internally, as far as internal communication, leadership, structure. And then there's the other form of level three influence, one to many, where you are able to move masses of people through your communication online, in person, to buy into what you're saying to the point where they actually invest, not giving you claps, but giving you conversions. And so what are your beliefs, your best practices around this thing called one-to-many influence? Because I believe you, you, you have this certainty, you have to have this confidence, this certainty in yourself, and then you demonstrate it one-to-one. -one, and then there's one-to-many where you can now scale, but it still involves your time. And then level four influence, you remove yourself with people in process, but in order for that to stay, yep. you have to have infused your principles and your values into people. That's why some business owners will remove themselves from the process. They take a vacation, go for two weeks, and the company falls apart. You're able to manage a team of now 40 people and, and expanding. What do you believe? Like, what do you think? Because you've done this very, very quick. And you're communicating, even with the one-to-many sales side, to a skeptical audience, marketing and sales, which there's a lot of gibberish out there. You've cut through, you provide real value. You do have an amazing offer. That's a no-brainer for people to take. But what has made you so successful so quick in this industry? Yeah. Um, so first of all is, and this goes against what a lot of people teach, is like teach from the heart. Like don't, don't game it. Like if you're not giving your absolute heart to your audience, they will catch it. Like, so in the beginning, okay, I learned different methods of kind of pre-suading at the beginning of the event, mm -hmm. you know, getting uh, audience participation. I could go into some of that, but, but the, the rubber hits the road 
when the, the audience senses, whoa, this person really cares. Like, so is that like, like a, a mistake you see marketers making, not showing empathy, not showing concern? Yeah, it's just, I mean, like if here's the, the way I've always operated, Eli, is, and I, do, I say this every time I present. I, I tell a talk show today, uh, we had uh, 280 lawyers live with uh, a, a business that does a, a business owner I interviewed who does 150 million a year. And, mm. you know, I, every time before I went on stage, it's actually right before this had happened. Um, and uh, I asked myself, if this was my last speech ever, if I died tonight, what would I want to teach? Mm. What would I want to wow. do? And is it really about hacks and all this BS and manipulate? No, it's not. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, I really want you to get out of your way. Now, now you're, you're starting to, for those listening right now, you're going to start seeing why I'm able to get like 2 million on it. By the way, on a 200 person to 300 person audience, we're able to collect $2 million predictably from virtual events that only cost us a hundred grand to put on with limited overhead. And the way we're able to do this is because like, you're going to start seeing this. Like, I really want you, I really want you push aside the tips, the tricks, the tactics we're going to teach you push this aside. Mm -hmm. I want you to become the person that can implement those tactics. Okay. Cause I could hand you the script. I asked everyone today, Hey, in the chat right now, I want you to tell me this. What percent of people, I hand you the script on how to build a $10 million law firm today. It arrives in the mail step by step, okay? You learn how to hire, how to double your leads, how to double your case volume, how to double your law firm. Let me ask everyone a question in the chat. Go ahead, type in, audience participation, go ahead, type in, what percent do you think of attorneys that are handed that script will implement it? Go ahead and type it into the chat right now. Okay, I see Lewis said 1%. I see John said 2 Okay, I see 1%. So everyone here is in agreement that it's not the how-to. Now, can I get a yes in the chat? Notice I'm going into my next audience yep. participation. Can I get a yes in the chat? Everyone's leaning in when I start with the question, even if I'm teaching something, right? Yep. Can I get a yes in the chat if you all agree that we can open up these bad boys Notice I'm oh, using colloquial language because yeah. that's natural for me. Bad boys instead of phone. These yeah. bad boys. All right, we can pull these things out. All right. Mm -hmm. We can type our YouTube app. Notice how I'm leaning forward like, yeah. like this, right? I'm showing humanization, breaking the third wall, right? So like we can pull out our phones and Google anything that we have questions. Mm -hmm. how, anything in our firms. So we don't have an information problem. We don't have a strategy problem. So we could spend the entire week talking about all these strategies. You've probably read books on strategy before you haven't done it, right? You've probably read that. You've probably seen a mentor on it. You didn't do it. So let's talk about why you're not doing it. Yes. Do I have a yes from everyone on that? Okay. So we're going to dive into how do you change your identity so that you become the type of law firm owner that can actually reach the goals that you deserve to, that your family deserves you to, that your team deserves you to, so you can become recession proof, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can never worry when tough times hit. Yeah. Does anybody here wanna learn that? Are you willing to invest a few days to invest in your entire future? All right, good, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I know. I love it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I started to, when I became obsessed with sales, I remember watching Tony Robbins, like all these people, not just Tony. Um, and they would do these things and I, I would see a shift in the audience and I, I started calling them bits. Me and my buddy, uh, Cole Hatter, who owns Thrive. I saw him and he was the top, I was the top guy for Tony and he was a top guy for fortune builders. He sold a $50,000 real estate investment package from from stage. And so we shared ideas and I helped them with some stuff. He helped me a lot with some stuff, but we started to collect these bits and share them back and forth on how we got people to devalue time and, you know, uh, devalue money rather and value their time. And, you know, we're basically pre-framing people, enrollment, engagement, some of these things. And I would take, ask, you know, little chunks of script, much like Bill just did. And I was like, what happened here? Like, why did that work? We now call it, you know, this identity selling and we create identity tension like pressure as to who you are now, where you have pain attached to your current levels of being, your behavior, which gets people wanting to change. And so there's, it's, it's interesting when people sign up for stuff, they think they want all the tactics, but really it's, you know, it's this, this mindset piece and, yeah. you know, it's, it's so critical. So, yeah, so thank I you for hearing that. I yeah. think one last thing is you got to believe in your revenue target for the event. Like I, a lot of people are hush hush about this, but what does that mean? Believe in your revenue target. What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, like, dude, when I entered the event, like I know I'm collecting 2 million, like yeah. it's not, it's not a, yeah. So like I, and I told everyone this publicly at the mastermind that we were at, I said, we're going to do $2 million in two days from this event. Right. And did I believe that was actually going to happen at the moment I said it? No, but I recited the goal to myself so many times that my subconscious mind said, I'd rather not have the cognitive dissonance. I'd rather just make the 2 million. But that is so important, Eli. Like I could go through all the tactics, like again, and you're the master of this. You're, you're 20,000 times better at, at the strategy side of this than me. But I enter with one thing. I'm going to reach X target. I'm going to have X impact on the audience. That's it. And I only want to reach X target, whatever my goal is, if I deserve it. So I enter with, and this is like one of the biggest things, like it's not about you in sales, in, in, in marketing, in pre, pre, uh, presenting from stage. It's not about you. So if you're anxious, you're being selfish. No, Go no. be selfless and worry about the person who's trading. I always tell my team, even if we sell a $1 ticket, that's not the sale. The sale is for the event in marketing. You're selling them on the opportunity cost of every other calendar event they could have had for your two or three day event. Right? Yeah. So the sale is like, I always look at it like the copy on our landing pages for a $1 ticket for a virtual event where they don't even have to fly mm -hmm. has to be selling them on a million dollars. Yeah. Right? So like you can't, you, I always say, I want the event to be so compelling. They would cancel a dinner with their long lost mom that they've never mm -hmm. met before. And they'd had it organized and the mom flew in from another country. And it was the one time they were going to meet their long lost mom. And they go, you know what? Not, nah, not going to meet the mom. I'm going to go to this two day or three day event. And I know that's an unreasonable thinking process, right? And you could question, is that the right example? I don't know. But the point is this, like operating with that level of urgency, with your pitch, with your offer, with the value you provide, and most importantly, getting people registered for the event is yeah. most important. If you get a captive audience, 
it's game over. And we get asked all the time to like sponsor these in-person events. And there's all these legal conferences that I get asked to like go to and sponsor. And I'm like, sorry, I could sponsor your event for 40 grand, or I could spend 40 more thousand on Facebook ads, own the event, own the audience, own the email list, control the pitch, control the quality of the content, control my life. And I know they're going to get more value. So getting butts in seats, I think is if I were to say like, what's the other, like, got to believe you're going to have a result on them. You're going to get a result for your clients. B, you're got to believe that you're going to get your goal because you can't go spend all this time and money on events and not reach your goal. Uh, and then last but not least, you got to do whatever it takes to get butts in seats yeah. and make sure they're the people who can buy, not broke people. All right. That's it. Well, ideally you would think with lawyers that you would have, uh, people that all have money, but a lot of them don't, you know, it's a lot of them are, they don't go to, they don't teach you business stuff. So that's where you come in. Um, just for time's sake, when we respect your time, um, you know, is, let me ask you this two, two more questions. What have been the biggest mistakes? Like anything that you've done so far in the last couple of years that had to do over again, you would do differently that people could benefit from here. Mm. Biggest mistake that comes to mind is when I transitioned from being a salesperson to a marketer, Okay. is I treated every marketing opportunity as a sales opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I remember like I created, what does that mean? So I created an ebook. I had like hundreds of people download it and I manually cold called all of them. Like, are you ready to buy? And I realized that there's a difference between a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the most painful lessons when I became a marketer uh, rather than, you know, primarily salesperson that was the biggest epiphany. Um, the second epiphany. I learned, learned a lot though. You got to have conversations with all these people and get hung up on. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it was not fun. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest mistakes I made. Um, the next biggest mistake is like allowing culture toxins. Like I made the decision when I started the business, Eli, I'm starting a real business. I'm not starting a four hour work week company. Like we're having physical office headquarters. We're having, if I turn my camera around, you'd see cubicles with standing desks. We have behind this, this camera, this is our stage room, our mini stage room. We have five meeting rooms, two executive offices, standing desks, two kitchens, bathroom. Like we have a, a physical office space. We're buying another physical office in Tampa. I entered this business wanting to build a culture. Everyone else, let them do the four hour work week. Um, it's not me. I'm building a culture. And that decision was, I went directly against it in the first like five to 10 people that I hired, great people. They weren't the culture that I needed, right? Or wanted to build. So I spent a year and a half letting people stay on the team, on my team, who were not who I wanted to spend time with or were not a reflection of our core values. And that was the second biggest, that was one of the top biggest epiphanies was quite frankly, I am going to fire people. And now we fired over 30, 32 people or so in just the last, you know, two years. Um, quick to fire. So, that's, that's key. Yeah. Culture, so I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a level four influence. You know, it's like making sure there's an alignment there. 
Um, yep. You know, last question. Is there anything else that you'd want uh, people to know? Anything I didn't ask you about influence, about uh, what you're up to, vision in the world? Anything I didn't ask you that I think I, I should have that you think people should know? Um, I think uh, I think the, the one thing I think that um, everyone should know is how to reverse engineer your vision into reality. Um, so like it, when I, when I say that, Eli, I mean, like we're talking about persuasion, we're talking about influence, right? Mm -hmm. Why, why influence? Like you want to hold an event. What strategic priority does that tie into in your three-year vision, right? You want to pitch a new product. What strategic priority does that fit into in your three-year vision? Like I wish people put more thought into here's where I'm going three years from today. It's not up for debate. It's not a question. It's not a, I hope it happens type thing. We're going here. Like I, I've said this every single year. Non-negotiable. Like, non we're, we're going to $23.4 million this year, right? Wow. I'm not flinching. I'm not laughing, right? I said, we're doing eight figures last year. We exceeded it, right? Did I believe that was possible at the beginning of the year? No, I thought I was a pipe dream maniac. I thought everything was going to crumble. I thought I was a fraud. I thought I'm an imposter. You know, I have all these fear thoughts, but you trudge through the fear, right? Mm -hmm. And I wish more people said, I'm going here in three years. This is non-negotiable. It's on paper. I've put in an Excel spreadsheet every month's revenues, mm -hmm. personally, my income, in or whatever it is for business, every month's revenues for this entire next 12 months. I already know how much money I'm going to make in February, March, April, May, June, July. I know when we're going to scale marketing spend. I know when we're going to not scale it. I know when we're going to scale payroll when we're not, right? So I wish people worked from vision gives you courage. Mm -hmm. So, so if your vision is clear, it's not hard to spend 300,000 a month or 500,000 a month on marketing. If we're going to two or 8 million a month by the end, of, whatever the number is by the end of this year. So I wish people spent more time on finding out how to take where they're going, document it, encode it. And then all of your marketing and sales activities plug into a big plan for the future. Awesome. So this is awesome. My friend, I look forward to seeing you hopefully in a couple of weeks. Um, a lot to reverse engineer. I'm going to have more questions for you and we'll put these in the show notes. Um, so hopefully you guys got a lot out of this. Um, this is somebody, I know a lot of you listening to this are young, um, relatively new in your career within four years, you know, going from just being on the phone to building a 40 person company. That's going to do multi eight figures. Uh, not a small feat, my friend. Uh, you're a great leader. Uh, you're a great friend. And, you know, I've, I've just loved seeing your growth just even in the last few months that I've known you. So uh, a lot to unpack here. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time. I know it's the one thing you can't get back. We're all super grateful. And um, I'm going to be more mindful starting tonight with my six-minute meditation. Woo! That's good. Love that. That's it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bill. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Everything is Influence podcast. If you got value from this episode, loved what you heard, and you want to go deeper into really understanding the core fundamentals of influence, then I have one more gift for you. I've put together a special training just for the listeners of this podcast that breaks down the four levels of influence 
and how to start using these tools in your life today. If you want that free training, then go to wildinfluence.com forward slash go. That's wildinfluence.com forward slash go. That's wild with an E at the end, then influence.com forward slash go. All you need to do is enter your name, email, and phone number, and we will send that over to you straight away. Until the next time, my friend, this is Eli signing off from the Everything is Influence podcast.